0: Hello and welcome to this week's Politically Speaking podcast. I'm your host, as always, Chris McDaniel, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio is... Jason Rosenbaum of the St. Louis Beacon. And also joining us through the phone is...
1: Marshall Griffin, the state Capitol reporter.
0: Marshall, let's get right down to it. You've been covering uh, a particular story for us. A Uh, kerfluffle. A kerfluffle that some are unhappy... That It hasn't been covered. Others are happy that it is being covered. Regardless, it's about 70% of the stories for the past couple of weeks. Tell us a little bit about it.
1: Well, of course, we're talking about the, uh, the ongoing controversy surrounding the scanning of source documents uh, for, for concealed carry um, weapons endorsements and also for driver's licenses. Um it, the week kind of just started out with a bang on you know pardon the uh, pun there <laughs> <It wasn't an laughs> unintentional pun we're all about uh, puns here <laughs> yes <yeah. laughs> it started out with a bang so to speak on Monday on tax day of all days um when Brian Long um uh, suddenly resigned as uh, the director of the Department of Revenue uh this email came from the governor's office and
0: Yeah he, had, um, he hadn't been in office for very long has he
1: No only since uh, mid December Yeah um, he had replaced, I believe, uh, Alana Barragon Scott. I hope I got the name correct there. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, he he took over him in uh, mid-December, uh, and it was right about the time that he took over that the uh, the new policy of scanning uh, source documents uh, began. Of course, something that was not announced, something that uh, didn't become known really publicly until this lawsuit down in the uh, the boot heel uh, was filed back in the early March and. Uh, the press conference announcing that lawsuit that was held here at the Capitol with uh, Lieutenant Governor Kinder and uh, the uh, prosecuting attorney from Stoddard County. So that's where it all started. It snowballed into, um, you know, committee hearings, uh, to subpoena, to a subpoena being issued by um, Senator Schaefer from Appropriations, which, um, which in turn uh, led to denials from uh, Governor Nixon that any any information was being sent to Washington and. We need to focus more time on, um, on the need to expand Medicaid, finally culminating Monday with uh, the uh, sudden resignation, effective immediately, of Brian Long. Um, and after, you know, the question, of course, is, well, was he fired, was he asked um, to resign? Uh, all I can tell you is, is that I emailed Scott Holsti, the press secretary for the governor, who said, no, uh, he was not fired, it was, he was not encouraged to resign it was long's decision completely.
2: So. Yeah, and I read the I read the resignation letter and it said something to the effect of it's taken a toll on me and my family over the last four months more than I expected. I mean, it didn't really cite a specific reason. It didn't say I'm quitting because this DOR situation is causing me too much stress per se, but from reading that letter, you could infer that was the case. Mm-hmm. So um but continue, Marshall.
1: Um as uh, it uh, the follow up uh, that happened after that was uh, the announcement that uh, the scanning of source documents for concealed carry applicants uh, would also uh, cease happening it didn't say immediately but it did say that it would no longer take place
2: but only for conceal and carry not for birth certificates to get right. a driver's license so. right
1: just just for concealed carry applicants and uh, of course that that uh, that uh, distinction happened after um it was revealed in Senate hearings that uh, the that the whole list of concealed carry endorsements uh, was uh, compiled by DOR and given to the Highway Patrol, who in turn on uh, two occasions, November 2011 and January of this year, uh, gave it to uh, the Social Security Administration for what they were told was a um, an investigation, a criminal investigation. Mm-hmm. Now, Kurt Schaefer has said uh, it, based on uh, what he has seen and what he believes is that it was more of a um, intelligence gathering operation to want to know who in Missouri has concealed carry permits and didn't really look to him like it was a, a criminal investigation but um that's but that's what was um that's what was told to us you know basically that that was the case and as we found out later as well um there was uh, at the uh, medicaid rally the uh, governor basically afterwards had a, uh, a press availability with reporters and um, all the questions were about um, the concealed carry DOR controversy. The exactly. Governor was not yeah. very happy about that. No, he wasn't. A kerfuffle. That's where it's he a kerfuffle, used that. that's
2: yes. where he used that word and basically said that this was a giant distraction to keep people away from talking about Medicaid. Although, as we've discussed last week, I mean that issue is pretty much dead in the water in the legislature. I mean, the Senate has said that in no uncertain terms, and. It's funny because uh, Lieutenant Governor Peter Kinder sent out this tweet a couple of days ago, but reporters asked Nixon during the campaign about his position, about whether he wanted to expand Medicaid multiple times. Right. His answer was, well, we're going to study this issue and wait and wait. And, you know, I don't mm-hmm. think he was that jazzed about reporters continually asking that question then. And then. You know, now that's all he wants to talk about apparently. So it it's an interesting reversal of, of focus. Would would right,
0: I Yeah, uh, one of the things that I find odd is that, you know, Republicans and Democrats, depending on their respective issues, they they're complaining that you know, either Medicaid or the D.O.R. scandal aren't being covered enough. And really, those are like the two biggest issues that people actually are covering. They've, yeah. they've been having a lot of coverage, both on Medicaid rallies, which Nixon has had, you know, just a huge number of them. And they're all they're all not very different. And the D.O.R. whole thing, which Marshall has been covering. So. Yeah.
2: And uh, it, it kind of to, to piggyback on that point, although Marshall told us offline that he wasn't in the chamber um, State Senator Brian Nievis of Washington admonished reporters because apparently DOR hasn't been covered enough. Even used uh, the name, the full names of Jeremiah J. Jeremiah Nixon, J. Nixon and, and Christopher, Christopher uh, Coster. Very dramatic, now, very we, enthusiastic. Do we know
0: Christopher Coster's middle name though? Because I feel like if we knew Christopher Coster's middle name, I don't, I don't know. That uh, would have even been more I wasn't In the chamber,
1: I did uh, actually uh, g- obtain an audio copy of that uh, of that um I, I, this i guess dialogue <laughs> um, and it, it it's very similar to what i've heard him say before and i can you know I, and i've seen him go on similar diatribes before so now, i can really imagine what it looked like i i
2: listened to the whole thing too and there was one point that he brought up that was a, a little troubling in that this entire list of concealing carry holders with their social security numbers and their names and their addresses it was it was snail mailed to somebody with the password on it and i think what he was trying to get to was if for some reason this got misplaced or you know t- mailed to the wrong person and it could mean that somebody could have had a list of tens of thousands of names and their social security numbers which could have been a, a privacy disaster in many cases i i think that that I, you know, flair and enthusiasm aside, that does seem to be a legitimate concern. When when would 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 you gather that same conclusion, oh, that, Marshall?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's you know, that's I mean, that's a, a an identity thief's dream to be able to get the, mm-hmm. the social security numbers of that many people in you know, in one easy um one easy to access format, you know, in one place. Um and I mean, this is you know this is uh not this is not over um you know this even though the gov even though uh, brian long is out and the governor has uh, said you know said that we will not scan these anymore um there's still been no word as to well uh, what about the the records that have been scanned so far will they be destroyed and there hasn't really been an answer to that question and, yeah and and also um, the the, uh, the budget the budget allocation for the motor vehicles division uh, is still at zero.
2: And I, I actually read an article that um, I, the uh, uh, the former revenue director, who's now an administrative law judge, they've taken money out to fund her position, uh, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not terribly surprising. And I, I also read that Schaefer wants her to testify uh, at some point because the thing was a lot of these initiatives happened during her tenure in office, and then she left, and then Brian Long had to kind of explain all of these things. I don't think he was personally responsible for a lot of what went on. I think, though, that what Republicans said, such as Schaefer, that he just didn't handle the questioning particularly well, and that was one of the the sources of criticism. I didn't witness how he responded, as Marshall did, so I can't really make a judgment on, on his Goodness or badness in that respect, but yeah. I, I think that was kind of that's kind of worth noting. So, well,
1: I, and I and I should also mention that um, as hard as uh, Senator Schaefer and some of the other re- Republicans on the Appro- Appropriations Committee were uh, when they were questioning Long, once Long was out, they basically all said, "Well, you know, Long is being made a scapegoat. He's being, you know, he's being the sacrificial lamb for what someone else uh, put in place," and um, they said, "You know, they." actually exp- surprisingly su- expressed a little bit of sympathy for him, um, but you know they're very serious about um, you know denying the denying the budget allocations uh, for, um, for 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 miss Scott and also for uh, the d- rep the uh, division of motor vehicles uh, the budget de- budget debates start next week they start uh, Monday afternoon and um, they've already you know the the appropriations committee' has already passed all the budget bills. Uh, minus uh, those uh, allocations, so they're, they're very serious about uh, uh, withholding money until they get answers.
2: Now I'm going to do. I'm so gonna throw, answers
1: they're satisfied with.
2: Now I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball. Throw I, it. I'm, I'm going to ask something and kind of go on a topic that we didn't discuss before the show. But were you at um, Speaker Jones's news conference where he was asked whether he was going to run for something in 2016?
1: Yes, I was there. Okay, I could
2: was. kind of explain what happened there.
1: Well basically all that happened there was um uh, the, Elizabeth Christ from the Post Dispatch uh, got the first question in and she, that was her question uh, do you plan on running for um other offices you know what if you decided what your future is going to be yet uh, once you're done with being speaker of the house hmm. and uh and speaker jones uh, started to say well yeah that he said there's three particular offices that have you know an enforcement um Enforcement component to them, and those were attorney general, state auditor, and secretary of state. He said all three of those offices were interesting to him. Um, uh, he did seem to, you know, slightly favor attorney general mm-hmm. um, when answering that question, but he also left open the possibility that he could run for one of those other two offices. Uh, he said it's too early; I haven't made my mind up yet. And then I got in a follow-up question asking him, well, uh, do you have any interest in being over in the other chamber uh, as a senator, which evoked laughter among the uh, the House leaders there. Because <laughs> he's
2: in Brian Nieves' district, i.e. Yeah. he would have to primary Nieves if yeah. if he wanted that seat. And frankly, he would be a pretty strong candidate simply because St. Louis County makes up half of his district and he's the Speaker of the House and has a lot of money. So yeah. that's yeah. that's – not, but but they're they're kind of on the same political sphere, so it's yeah. just unlikely that that would occur. But continue,
1: um, Marshall. Unlikely, and I and plus I do think he has uh, statewide um, aspirations.
0: Yeah, so, he's but, always been pretty blunt, uh, you know, about about his aspirations for after he's speaker.
2: Yeah, the reason I threw that question in is there's been kind of a lot of chatter on Twitter, and I mean. It's 2013 now. I know 2016 is a long way, but this is coming from a guy who wrote a 2,200 board article about Coster solidifying his um, base among the Democratic gubernatorial primary. But nevertheless, there's been kind of this this chatter that Schaefer and Jones are kind of on this collision course for uh, the attorney general primary in 2016. So I found it interesting that Jones left the door open to run for something else like secretary of state, which would kind of, you know, prevent, in, at least in that case, from Republicans having a primary in that situation. Though, you know, Catherine Hanaway, who we've talked about in this show before, the former Speaker of the House, has talked about possibly running for governor or for attorney general, too. So it's it's possible that there may, may be a primary anyways. But that has been kind of one of the undercurrents of this D.O.R. scandal, our Controversy, I know that some people don't like to call it a scandal, is that Schaefer and Jones are kind of using it to maybe expand their statewide pro- profile sure. and their conservative credentials a little bit. In the case of Schaefer, it's actually kind of interesting because having formally covered him in Columbia, he ran in 2008 as this moderate, re- reasonable candidate. He even had John Danforth come in and do a fundraiser for him. And I believe he had him come in again in 2012. So it is kind of interesting he is embracing this uh, social issue of guns in many respects because that wasn't an emphasis in his other few years. But since, you know, Department of Revenue's funding falls within the jurisdiction of the Appropriations Committee, which he is a chairman, it does somehow make sense on that front, and I know he's not the only Republican who is talking about this issue. I don't know if you wanted to chime in, Marshall, but that was just uh, kind of my observation there.
1: I will chime in. As far as uh, his running as a somewhat moderate Republican uh, in both of his Senate races, a lot of that also had to do with the district he represented. Columbia is a very heavily uh, Democratic area, and um, uh, the first time... The first time that he ran, he defeated an incumbent who was having a little bit of political scandal of his own, uh, involving a DUI and whether or not he may have um, pressured uh, or tried to pressure uh, state authorities to drop, you know, drop the charges or to at least, you know, reduce the severity of them. Um, that I think Schaefer benefited from that, and then um, he also benefited from, you know, four years of um, you know pretty strong record in the Senate. Yeah, but uh, yeah, he had to pretty much he had to pretty much run as a moderate and not be seen as um, a right, so called right wing Republican. I mean,
2: but but it, now that he doesn't yeah. have to
1: worry about being reelected to the Senate. He, maybe he can freed up a bit to be to express his uh, any more conservative leanings he may have. And now. it should
2: also be noted that now his district has Cooper County, which is a very conservative rural county. So in that sense, there the, the situation has changed for him a little bit, but. I know curveballs here on politically speaking. We didn't talk about this topic beforehand, but I thought it was an interesting segue. Um, yeah,
1: and, and there's and certainly the uh, the chance to uh, you know to to you know go at, to go after uh, whatever may have happened with uh, you know these concealed carry records and the you know, the process of scanning and whether or not uh, all these uh, records and uh, copies of records are being held in a database uh, to go to Homeland Security. You know, being able to get out in the public in front of this and attack something like that certainly doesn't hurt his appeal as a uh, statewide candidate in the near future. It's certainly convenient in that, in that in that aspect.
2: And just as a politically speaking bonus, I'll just mention a few people on the Democratic side that I've heard running for attorney general since it's assumed that Coster will run for governor. Mm-hmm. I've heard uh, Jackson County executive uh, Mike Sanders. Somebody's thrown out the name of ja- uh, Jackson County prosecutor, Gene Peters-Baker. Um, I've thought possibly Scott Sifton of South County as a possibility. Kevin McManus of Kansas City has been thrown out. So there are potential Democratic candidates, but it's very early in that respect. And it, it'll probably be a while before that that, si- that side formulates. But a lot of talk is on the GOP side, considering yeah. there are two candidates who so I would say would be pretty – um, legitimate candidates for that position. So,
1: and if I can throw a little curveball of my own here, hey, um, bring it on. Um, one of the things that uh, got some Twitter um, attention this week also was uh, the uh, the race, uh, more of an inside baseball thing. Um, uh, the race for House Speaker. Um, mm. our Rick Stream uh, put out a tweet earlier this week that he has uh, endorsed John Deal to be the next House Speaker, mm-hmm. and um, you know, that's that. Uh, that actual election won't happen until. Uh, November of 2014, after uh, next year's general election, but uh, the, the Republican caucus is uh, presumed to be gathering perhaps uh, this September around veto session to go ahead and you know pick among themselves who they want to put up for House Speaker. It
2: seems though that there's, it's not going to be a very heavily contested contest. No. The last heavily contested speakers race was between now Senator Ron Richard and former Representative Alan Isid in 2007. And that was actually a very interesting and very consequential race for the the House Republicans. Marshall, I don't know if you were in Jefferson City yet for that, but it seems since then they have kind of just picked the successors without too much acrimony or competition. And that seems to be going in that direction here. So.
1: Basically, not wanting to repeat uh, something that uh, something uh, that that was that acrimonious. Yeah, 2007. I it was my first year here. I was still kind of learning the ropes and learning what was where. So.
2: Yeah, yeah. So closer to home, though, there was an inauguration of of Mayor Slafer, an unprecedented historic fourth fourth four year term. term. Yes, I, I was there. Rachel there. Rachel was also there. There, there. For us. Uh, Richard Callow both took. Uh, took pictures of both of us. That One, will be
0: in the next campaign mailer, I'm sure.
2: That was a horrible picture of me. <laughs> My wife just was aghast by it. But I got a picture of him, which apparently he, there's not many pictures of him. He's very, very nice. mysterious. Yes. But you know, it was, you know, it was actually an interesting experience because the mayor uh, had a fairly brief inaugural address. I think he actually did that purposefully. He laid out some... Broad goals for the next few years, and he said something that caught a lot of people's attention: that he confidently expected the city to rejoin the county by the end of the decade, which would mean that you know, if he was the person to help do that, he would have to you know run again in 2017. And there's a whole bunch of what ifs there. It's an it was an interesting statement because I think we've talked about that on this show about the the city rejoining the county as a municipality by, you know, 2019. I don't know if it'll be the 90th or 91st or 80th if all these other municipalities cease to exist. But I do think that if that does happen, it would require a vote, either a statewide vote or mo- more likely a vote with St. Louis City and St. Louis County. Right. And one thing that I've been pondering beyond just how the county council would be structured, whether you have to put more people, whether you'd have to draw a map, is just if that happens and there are you know 250,000 to 300,000 more democratic voters added to the county it would effectively make it impossible for republicans to first of all control the county council although now they they really haven't been putting up a lot of fight on that but also it would just make it impossible for them to ever compete for the county executive office ever again it kind of be similar to what happens in Jackson County, where Kansas City proper is part of Jackson County and Platt County and and Clay County. And because of that, there really hasn't been a serious Republican challenge for that office. And I think you would you would see a similar situation there. And the reason I bring that up is it would not surprise me then in whatever election cycle they have to vote on that, if the state Republican Party got involved and tried to stop that from happening just because they they see that as a a an opportunity to build the Republican Party in a very populous area, and it's it's another wrinkle to that whole situation because it's more of a political consideration to think of as opposed to the practical implications of them merging or you know merging is not the right word but the city rejoining the county, but. It, it It is something to think about going forward, and one of the reasons why him, the Slay, being confident that it'll happen may not be a sure thing. Um, the, the other thing was that the Board of Aldermen also got um, inaugurated before the mayor and comptroller Darlene Green. They're, they're actually, most of the members are, are the same except for two, mm-hmm. Christine and Grassi of the 6th Board. Sharon Tyus of the first board. Sharon Tyus actually is back in the Board of Aldermen after I think a decade-long absence. Very sharp, very sharp person, an attorney, and is, I think will be make a big impact on the board. Same with ingracia very sharp, very promising. Um and it'll be interesting to watch to see how this this board interacts with the mayor at, going forward in the next couple of years. So that was more of me blabbering on than usual, but I don't think you were there. so I, think I was not there. You could only I followed assume. along
0: online. But I did also see that uh, President of the Board of Aldermen, Lewis Reed, did announce that he will be running for another term as, as Board of Aldermen President. Yes,
2: he did. I don't know if we've discussed that on this show I don't yet. think we have. And I think that the assumption is he will not be going into that race unchallenged yeah. because he was unchallenged in the last race which i believe yeah. was 2011 in fact the only person he had to to beat was a green party candidate and we've seen from the last election that the green party while you know mm-hmm. you know they're on the ballot they just haven't been able to make a lot of traction as far as beating people and um you know the people It's
0: it's early yet but he does have he does have debt from running against Slay.
2: Yeah, he does. But it's not, what is it, like $28,000? I think so, yeah. And he has like $86,000 on hand, I think. I, I could be wrong about that. But I he think. could probably pay off that debt with the amount of money he still has. I think you're searching on that computer now to make sure I haven't made a horrible <laughs> error in judgment. But m- my point is it's its debt, but it's not like a crushing Insurmountable debt that he can't pay off if he is actively raising money for his reelection. But, you know, a couple people that have been brought up as possibilities Dave Drevis of Mo Scout brought up Lydia Cruson of the 28th Ward as a possibility. She ran for the Board of Aldermen presidency, I think, in the 1990s. Another person that's been floated around is Jeffrey Boyd, who ran for treasurer um, the last year. He's also been floated as a possibility. And, you know, I, I don't know who will actually file for that race. It's it's that's a two thousand fifteen race. We're we're going way into the future here. <laughs> but um, you know, that's probably the next big election to look forward to beyond whatever aldermanic races happen then. So
0: Yeah. Reed has twenty five thousand dollars in campaign cash currently mm-hmm. and forty one thousand dollars in debt. So okay. he is he is a little bit uh in debt, but not there's plenty of time.
2: Okay, so I, I obviously overstated his amount, um, but my point.
0: Uh, yeah, I think you were referring to eight day before the yeah, campaign. Yeah,
2: I think that was probably what I was looking at. But but my point kind of remains the same. Yes, I do think that yes you know it's never good to be in debt, but I think that's a pretty common thing to happen after a pretty competitive campaign and. That amount of money, while not insignificant, I do think if he is actively fundraising, he could probably pay that back.
0: Yeah, I mean, for the mayor's race, he raised $700,000. So compared to that, it's not it's not that much. But And, that'll- and, j-
2: and just to point out, the mayor has $374,000 still on hand. So if he wants to throw the world's biggest samba party <laughs> in front of the arch,
0: he can do that. You heard it here first. Uh, World's biggest Samba Party. We'll announce the date later on as soon as, as, soon as we get our invites. Um, we'll be back next week to talk more about Samba Parties and, and other important issues. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at CSMcDaniel. You can follow Jason on Twitter at j_rosenbaum. Rosenbaum. You can follow Marshall on Twitter at
1: MarshallGReport.
0: Marshall and I's stories are at stlpublicradio.org. Jason's Jason stories and Joe, who should be back next week, can be found at stlbeacon.org. Uh, Joe should be back next week. I think she's back in St. Louis now from her vacation. So
2: I, I, look forward to that. We're looking forward to having her back. But thank you again, Marshall, for
0: your help over the last few weeks.
1: Oh, You're very welcome.
0: We'll be back next week. Until then, so long.
1: Bye. Bye.